When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. On June 28, 1984, Jenny Vinko is found dead in her Los Angeles apartment, nearly decapitated. A fingerprint is found on the window. Almost a year later, Dale Yoshi Akazaki is fatally shot in her home. That same night, Sailan Tu is shot after being pulled out of her car. About a week later, Vincent Zazara and Maxine Lavina Zazara were killed in their home, and a footprint found outside of the home was connected to all the previous murders, signaling to the authorities that these were the work of a serial killer. Between March and August of 1985, there were at least 13 brutal murders committed by this suspected killer of victims with different genders, ages, and ethnicities. Then there was a break in the case. A fingerprint was discovered that identified Richard Ramirez as the culprit behind these brutal crimes. His picture was released to the media soon after, and the whole city of Los Angeles began desperately searching for... The Night Stalker. Search goes on in San Francisco for the man known as the Zodiac Killer. In New York, the search continues for the 44 caliber killer. See if you can explain to me why I would want to be a Scientologist. Betches Media presents... Tell me we have a lead. Stone Cold, no. It was literally like the Hunger Games. Not another true crime podcast. What can I say? Tough titties. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. And, you know, we're your partners in wine crime. And we're spending some time with you right now. We are spending some time just like we spent a lot of time watching the Night Stalker documentary on Netflix. Everyone has been asking. I know I say this like every time we do a documentary, but seriously. Um, But also I feel like just every single person I know is talking about this documentary and this case. Like even people that aren't that into true crime or not as deeply into it are like, did you watch the Night Stalker? And I'm like, yeah, I did. Why did, how did you, like you usually just watch Chopped. What's going on here? It's it's (laughs) taking, it's taken over. That and um, Lupin, like we just need, everyone's just doing a true crime or a crime pivot and I love it. And I hope we can keep these fans. Um, I I feel like we just need stuff to watch right now. And this documentary came at a really good time. I'm also very excited for the Hotel Cecil documentary. It's going to be lit. It's going to be. L.A. is really. What is up with that place? I I feel like we've had this conversation before. Like it's always happening in California and Colorado. Yeah. Well, we know. Well, the mayor isn't doing L.A. any favors right now. And then back in the day, I'm sure it was just a cyclical cycle. So who knows? 
That's fair. So, yes, we are going to be talking about the Night Stalker. We're going to talk about the documentary as well as give an overview of the crimes and and Richard Ramirez, because I, I don't feel like I mean, they did this kind of on purpose. The documentary kind of left him out of his own documentary. Yeah, which I will get into after how we feel about that. But yeah, exactly. Just to kind of give some background information about who he is and this kind of to fluff up people that might not have watched the doc yet, but still want to know about him or chose not to watch it because some of the gruesome reviews, which we'll get into after. Yeah, definitely. But for now, we'll start with a brief biography. Richard Ramirez was born Ricardo Levia Munoz Ramirez in El Paso, Texas on February 29th, 1960. Fun fact, Ja Rule is also born on February 29th. And honestly, it just feels fitting. It really does. It tracks. (laughs) Ramirez was the youngest of five children of Mexican immigrants, Mercedes and Julian Ramirez. His mother worked at a boot factory and was exposed to chemical fumes while she was pregnant with him. And all of his siblings actually had birth defects, which ranged from respiratory problems to bone deformities, other all types of other things. And one kind of aspect that I do sort of wish the documentary had discussed was, um, I mean, like his childhood. I mean, it was very, uh, I don't know what to say, rife with issues. Um, When Richard was two, a dresser fell on his head causing like concussions. And when he was five, also a swing hit them and hit him in the head and which eventually knocked him unconscious. And because of that, he later would experience seizures. Right. All of that before the age of five. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, come on, that has to affect your development. Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, Ramirez also told Philip Carlo, who's the author who literally wrote the book on him that his father was physically abusive to his whole family. And in fact, his his entire, I, I don't want to say entire, but like his extended family was also very abusive and problematic. Um, mm-hmm. When he was in seventh grade, he started sniffing glue and spending his nights at cemeteries. I mean, who hasn't? I was going to say that is kind of seventh grade behavior. Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, but back to the problematic and abusive family. Um, when he was 12, he became close with this cousin. He had Miguel, who had returned home from the Vietnam War. And then Miguel kind of started showing him pictures that were of Vietnamese women who had been tortured, killed, sexually assaulted. I think I read dismembered. So just really like horrifying stuff. And he was showing him this when he was 12, which a lot of like, pieces i read kind of point out that this is like the advent of puberty so, i was gonna say that is i think almost on record the most formative year for a yeah. child especially in like a like a sexual sense yeah yeah and even more uh scarily a year later he witnessed that same cousin shoot and kill his wife so we're talking about some serious trauma both physical and emotional and around this time ramirez started breaking into homes Then he eventually dropped out of high school. I think when he was 15, he moved to L.A. He briefly served a few months in prison for stealing a car. And he also started using drugs, notably cocaine. And I think also around that time, too, that was when he was working at like a hotel where he would just like go and like he would break into homes. And then also when he was working at the hotel, he would break into just all the rooms there. So he was doing doing a lot. Yeah, totally. With the cocaine. And then, of course, so as you uh, can tell, The Night Stalker, it wasn't just a documentary about 
uh, his childhood because there was no mention of really of his childhood. So they kind of dived right into the murders and the investigation. So with his murders overall, he was a thrill killer is what they kind of described him as. I.e. he didn't have a specific victimology. He didn't really have a set M.O. with this. It sort of was just he's going to kill and he's killing. He would just truly break into houses and improv from there, which, you know, I've been on record multiple times on this podcast saying, uh, talking about the dangers of improv, mainly in the comedic form, but uh, especially just uh, across the board. So I would uh, totally, definitely recommend people not doing improv, especially with this. Uh, (laughs) Just kind of overall, that's just my, not even from like a murder standpoint, just don't do improv. It's just not worth it. Not worth it for your sanity. Agree. Uh, he did begin killing June 1984 and then it lasted until August 1985 Uh, he committed his first murder when he was 25 years old which kind of it's like sort of I feel I I, I hate to say young for him because of his uh, track record growing up from there but he started when he was 25 and his first victim was Jenny Vincow who was a 79 year old woman who lived in Glassell Park, L.A. Yeah, that is just so sad. Not that anyone deserves to get murdered, but it's like especially sad when it's like elderly people or young kids because it really is because it's like you got so much. You're just like, let a bitch watch Murder, She Wrote for three more years. You know (laughs) what I mean? It just really that was like the part where it's like I was like, okay, so I'm going to break down crying in this documentary. Got it. Perfect. Right. And, And it's like, oh, right from the beginning. I know, yeah, because I was like, I was like, oh shit, twenty five, you know, he's sketchy. I was like, oh my god, what this woman? Yeah, I just th- there's like something especially, um, like hard to watch about people who go after just like the most vulnerable. That exactly, hundred percent, because it's like she can't really. Uh, I'm assuming most seventy nine year olds can't defend themselves versus a twenty five year old. I think I'm slightly better at self defense than a seventy nine year old. I just not to be ageist, but I I just hope. I, I hope. I mean, I really can't preach to the choir because I just tried to pick up my coffee, but my hands were too moisturized that it fell. Uh, so I really, I don't know. That'll either really be helpful for my um, defense or really not against it. Because maybe I can just slip and slide <laughs> away. So um, unfortunately, Jenny Vincow, his first victim, he stabbed her and cut her throat. And then after that, his next victim wasn't until March 1985. So that's almost a year pause. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, and then in, on March 1985, his second victim was a- Angela Barrio, who was 22. So this is also kind of the formation that, going back, he had no set victimology. We're talking about a 79-year-old woman and now a 22-year-old woman. Yeah, and that was actually something that it, it took the police a really long time to even um, connect that it was one person who was doing all this. I mean, like, yeah. understandably so, because his his victims were really just all over the map. Because you're, you're trying to... Uh, create the prototype or the idea of who your uh, target is or like the person you're trying to arrest and it's all over the it's fucking all over the place yeah I mean we all watch criminal minds when they're if they were building an unsub they would be like they wouldn't even get to this point I feel like because they would be like this just he has no victimology um like his victims are just all different ages ethnicities different genders he uses different weapons every time like he he literally just like does he just fucking improvs it as you said it's fuck it we'll do it live yeah um he and with uh angela he shot her outside her home and then shot and killed her roommate the 34 year old dale akazaki so just she survived 
because the bullet ricocheted. Yeah, Angela survived. Yeah, Angela survived because the bullet ricocheted off her keys. Wow. Wow. That is, I, I mean, talk about How's just that possible? luck of the draw. I don't know. Maybe she had big keys or maybe his gun wasn't as quiet. Because I was like, how does it, because I even like picked up my key. I was like, this, this will not defend me from anything. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it will defend me when I put it through my knuckles. And like, if I need to stab someone in the eye, like I do when I'm walking home. That's true. I mean, hey, not Sarah- that I stab someone when I'm walking home, to be clear, um, that I put my keys in my knuckles. <laughs> Sarah's going to get her 10,000 steps and you're not getting in her fucking way. <laughs> oh, yeah. No way. Yeah. Uh, so kind of what we were saying, his victims were a variety of ages going from 83 to six years old, which they, they were men and women too. So it really was just all over the place. He used a variety of weapons from guns to knives to hammers. He sodomized many of his female victims, beat and mutilated. It was, it's truly just the most unfathomable type of crime. I mean, there's no, all murder is awful and painful, but just the torture that went into this and the kind of like, you can't, I can't, you can't even like put wrap your head around it. Yeah. It was really disturbing, which is an aspect that once again, the documentary didn't shy away from for better or for worse. Not, I think it, I know it's one of the, we'll talk about it, but I feel like it's like now the difference between a Netflix doc and a doc that has to be like on television. That's not subscription based. You know what I mean? Of like, well, yeah. Like with a warning and like a, a mature rating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does Netflix have that? Because I definitely feel like this should have been like mature. Right. I guess you have kids settings on it. So like they just watch like uh, Paw Patrol, but uh, not that. <laughs> this is a... Yes. Hold on a ballgame. Um, but after a string of these brutal crimes, he did make a mistake because most times all criminals make a mistake that eventually led to his identification. He was spotted outside a witness's home where he left a footprint and his car behind, which LA, come on. The police tracked down the car and were able to find a fingerprint that they could compare to their new database because, you know, back in the day, uh, that eventually led to his IDing, his identification. The, da- the database only had people that had been born after 1960 and Ricardo Ramirez, he was born literally, as we said, Ja Rule style, February of 1960. Could you imagine? Insane. If it was 1959, that like it's just crazy how that it could have been a two month difference could have meant that he was never discovered. Yeah, yeah. Well, like talk about luck. When it comes to the plant based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. There's some other interesting elements that we have to talk about that the documentary didn't get into. Yeah. 
We got to talk about Satan and we have to talk about the teeth. Um, you can put that on my tombstone. <laughs> so basically, like the satanic stuff, some of the victims, he would like force them to declare their love for Satan, which he did to like one of his uh, teenage girl, female victims. And um, he also made like satanic gestures during the trial. Like there was a upside down pentagram on his palm that he like put up. That's this iconic photo. Um, he also would leave occult symbols at some crime scenes, like mostly inverted pentagrams. Um, the guy who wrote literally wrote the book on him thinks he just kind of did it for like dramatic flair. Um, and I think some interesting context is that this was like going on during the satanic panic of like the 80s and 90s. So it's kind of just like, was he doing this to feed into this kind of like fear of like satanic rituals? Um, did the media focus more on it because of the context and what was like already going on? Um, I know that was kind of an interesting point because obviously you will never find out, but because I, it was right, it's right at the height of that. And even if you guys remember the Jeanette De Palma case we did, she was kind of yes. before the full on rise of it. But that was when people were thinking that people were leaving satanic images and stuff like that, kind of just to mess with the police or something they didn't really believe in, but they knew people would freak out about it. So it really is kind of one of two coins. He does seem, looking at him though, I could, I could see a little Satan worshiping in him. I don't think, like, I didn't get the sense that he, like, truly believed it, but I got the sense that he was just sort of doing it for effect because he seemed to be very into, like, the, the like, notoriety that was going to come with these crimes. And um, also, correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be so wrong, but I think someone told me once that, like, people who worship Satan aren't actually, like, trying to do evil. That's, like, kind of, like, it's, like, not totally as terrifying as it sounds. It's I not. Think. I read this in a Reddit, a Reddit thread, right? which was really good. It was like, in, a, in my, am I the asshole thread? If you guys can find it, fuck, it was like, about am this I the guy. Asshole? Hey guys, I'm Satan. Like, what's your you vibe? Know, am I the asshole for like getting in a fight with God and plunging to the depths of hell, whatever, and, and torturing people for, for all of eternity? Um, no, it was basically about this, this guy who like is a Satanist and basically like his cousin decided to be all like hail satan to be angsty and edgy and this guy who actually like practices these rituals was like okay cool i'm gonna teach you all about how to do this and apparently it's like it's very regimented they're like there are these rules and it's kind of boring and so he was able to sort of bore the kid out of his love for satan and it was that was amazing funny it kind of just goes to show guys every most things that are done are so boring like but it's interesting <laughs> you said that and i think i just wanted to like frame that because i feel like that is what differentiates it because like a, a quote unquote like satan worshiper is not running to crime scenes or murdering people and putting images everywhere they're like they're busy like i don't know like journaling in their house i <laughs> think like, they're not really you know, yeah i mean so. every religion is boring it just goes to show <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. There's also like a a common refrain on criminal minds that they say, which is like, there's never actually been a satanic ritual killing. Like it's just a myth or like imposters. It's, it's Taylor Swift folklore. There we go. Also. Okay. Speaking of scary shit, we got to discuss the teeth. Um, truly don't Google that past like 9 PM because it will give you nightmares. And all, but if you, 
any of your friends in your group chat are like, okay, mm-hmm. this guy is hot, because we'll get into that part after, send the Google search. So the victims all described Ramirez as having like long hair, bad smell, which was probably due to the fact that he basically had like no teeth. He had decayed and missing teeth, basically from all the cocaine and his poor diet. Um, I guess when you're like out serial murdering people, you don't have time to like stick to keto or whatever. (laughs) You're not flossing. Yeah, you're not flossing. I mean, Um, I'm not really either. So I can't talk. Yeah. So he just had these like truly terrifying teeth. Um, And this is the ironic part because he got caught in part because of the teeth. So um, when he was fleeing a traffic stop, he left behind a dental appointment card and Ramirez's father tried to claim um, that on the day of one of his murders and three rapes, his father tried to claim that he was with him in El Paso on that day. And this card that he accidentally dropped proved otherwise. So they were able to like prove where he was by like talking to the dentist and confirming this card. Um, He also did eventually have his teeth fixed by prison dentists, which is why like if you see later pictures of him, he has like normal teeth. I was also kind of interested about the father trying to help out with this just because of, yes. I mean, I guess if you're like, just because from what Richard Ramirez said that his father was very abusive and the family was very toxic and things like that. And it's kind of curious, I guess it's one of those things like if you're maybe parental <laughs> instincts guided judgment or came in here, but you know what I mean? I mean, I was really interested in that, too, because they also put up the money for his legal defense. Like he wasn't just using a public defender. So I'm very curious about that relationship. And also if like what because like what was going on, like was he telling them what was happening or you know what I mean? They just came out of the woodwork like, hey, guys, I did all this. Okay, we'll defend you. Yeah, like I don't know. (laughs) And I want to know. I want to know very badly. So that's the teeth. (laughs) That's the tea on the the Satan stuff. Yeah. So then we get to, like Sarah said, the trial where he did have paid for defense. This guy was, but this is also the insanity. And this is what happens to so many of these serial killers or major criminals. They got, they got some, they got some swipe rights. They got some matches. People are, there's some hoes in this house. You know what I mean? It's very, I wrote hoes in different area codes, but hoes in this house is also in this courthouse. There's some hoes in this courthouse. There we go. I'm talking WAP. Yeah. We arrest. (laughs) I hate (gasps) you for that. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm like, Cardi, let's collab. She's like, no, Oh my God. You know, she'd love me though. You know, that's true. Okay. Regardless. So, so much. So groupies were showing up to the trial, like in the, in, I was going to say in the audience, like in the, like, like where the spec people watch, which is so insane how that's even allowed in. And you know, he probably loved it. Yeah. He loved being the center of the attention. Oh, he, he fucking loved it. And I loved in the documentary, he really acted too cool for school. Like he, he just appeared pretty nonchalant at trial where I feel like Ted Bundy was like, I'm imagine he didn't actually do this, but like, this is my impression of him where he's like, where um, celebrities will run through the line of crowds, like slapping everybody's hand. Yeah, this bitch wore sunglasses to the courtroom. I feel like he kind of thought it was like a press stop. Like he was like Sasha Ronan on the way, like promoting Lady Bird. She's like, he's like, gotta stop here. Okay, I'm at Access Hollywood. And it's like, no, you're on trial for these. Yeah, he thought he was a fucking movie star. Yeah. So the trial began in 1988. 
a year before Taylor Swift was born, just remember. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, it's just good to know for the framework of American society. Uh, not shockingly, he was convicted of 13 counts of murder, five counts of attempted murder, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. So a lot going. Oh, yeah, so he had all that. Uh, he was given 19 death sentences in 1989 and sentenced to die by gas chamber. I guess I was honestly surprised that that was a thing. Um, although, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff about crime that I don't understand. Like why someone is given consecutive life sentences. That <laughs> Like, is it just for effect? I, I get that. Did you see someone posted about that in the Facebook group? Because they were like... Yes. Yeah, and then I was like, I thought it was for effect, too. Well, yeah, so someone posted in this Facebook group a TikTok of someone being like, me thinking that sentencing someone to multiple death sentences was just for dramatic effect. And I was I'm watching that like, haha, is it not? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh, this is news to me. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're all learning here. So after he had the sentence, he said, quote, unquote, big deal. Death always comes with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Weird. What a weird. Which I can tell you, when I do think of hell, <laughs> and I don't think of it often, it is Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, that is factual. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's that's why you guys gotta be good people, because if not, you will be spending eternity in Disneyland. Yes, with screaming children and like yeah. families yelling at each other. Yeah, and heaven is a wine bar, so there's that. Yes. With fries, aioli, ketchup. Oh, my God, I'm so hungry. Me too. I'm hungry and I want wine. Uh, it's 11.34 a.m., just want the record to show. <laughs> well, the other day, I was, like, reaching into the fridge to get a snack, and I truly almost grabbed a vodka soda, like one of those cans. I was like, oh, this sounds refreshing right now. And then I was like, um, wait, I can't do you're that. Like, you're like, I was like it's like, how 1 p.m. can I be on Zoom? Yeah. Which, I mean, could be. Kind of tipsy. I mean, who's to say? Who's to know? Say, I don't think uh, I'd be sloppy. No. Oh, my God, no. Uh, but back to uh, our Richard <laughs> Ramirez. He ultimately told the courtroom, I am beyond good and evil. I will be avenged. Lucifer dwells in us all. That's it. Okay, this is what I mean. Like, this should, it's like, it doesn't even make sense. Right. Like, he was clearly just trying to, like, have a good line. Yeah, he just wanted to scare people. And I'm like, honey, Lucifer is not in me. Indigestion is in me. So like that, <laughs> that's the rumbling. That is what you're hearing. But it's also like avenged it's- for what? Like you did it, bro. We all know you did. Yeah, that's also true. It's, it's not like, he's not like, who, who's helping him out? Yeah. Like if anyone's uh, going to be avenged, it's all the people you fucking brutally murdered. And yeah, I will assist vengeance. them in avenging that somehow. Yeah. God. That's where it kind of goes in where it's like, you know, or I personally really feel that all of the satanic things he says is just for attention and like quote unquote special effect do you know what i mean i mean that's kind of how i feel that's just my take on it yeah that's mine that's two takes two 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 takes on the same street uh so while (laughs) on death row he of course got married uh he married who was a freelance magazine editor in 1996 she started writing to him in 1985 so that's a long time and she put in the work she put in that work. She was like, I, yeah. I do think that effort could have been spent doing literally anything else, but I, you know, she was dedicated. You're a freelance magazine editor. Write articles. Don't write to convicted. Awful yeah. people. 
Yeah, write uh, articles. Don't yeah, don't write to serial killers. Yeah, that's my that's our <laughs> that's our freelance pivot pitch, guys. There we go. Uh, and he did propose to her in 1988. So glorious. Uh, he spent more than 23 years on death row until he eventually died in 2013 of lymphoma. I feel like this kind of stuff is a pretty strong argument against the death penalty because it's just like the fact that you people it's like you're spending 23 years on death row. Why waste the taxpayer money? That's I don't. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's very confusing because that's why I was like, uh, you would assume if you're on death row, that row is not too long. Like you're like, no, no, it's a long process. And I'm pretty sure that you're entitled to like at least one appeal. Like automatically. Yeah, I think you are. Yeah. So it's sort of a very insane, archaic-ish practice. Agree. That's pretty much a brief history. Yeah, brief just to get you a taste of some of his backstories and some things that weren't addressed in the doc. Yeah, because I actually feel like um, the documentary, I guess I feel like I expose myself as a fake true crime fan a lot, but (laughs) I really didn't know very much about Ramirez or the Night Stalker or his MO like before this documentary like I'd heard of him obviously but I didn't really know any details so that's kind of why we wanted to give a little overview yeah because I didn't really know anything about this one either but that's why I was like so curious and I think that is why a lot of people are jumping onto it too because a the name is very Netflix grabby and b everyone I'm kind of like oh I want to learn more about this because I really am confused yeah although I think that if you wanted to learn more then this isn't the the doc to watch because we really didn't learn anything about Ramirez or his MO. And like, to be fair, I think there's something to be said for not glorifying serial killers. Like I I think they kind of shit the bed on Ted Bundy. So I, I understand why they would try to make efforts not to do that. Um, But I also feel like, they kind of left out important context um like the stuff with his childhood you know i didn't say i didn't we didn't discuss any of that to like say that oh i feel like bad for him or anything like that but it, it does give kind of important context especially when people try to think about like how these types of people coming to existence whether it's nature or nurture like whether you're born that way or or serial killers are made so i think learning about all these like types of terrible abuse trauma head injuries is relevant to me i think so too 100 percent, because i feel like it's kind of how you grasp the full picture and it's one of those things like if you to your point and because i think i agree with you this is what they tried to do they didn't want to glamorize richard ramirez but you're doing a documentary about him it's very hard not to discuss him and kind of have the unfortunate ricochet of people thinking that or bringing up that and then also because then it becomes a documentary on the culture surrounding this and the culture of the time and the ways that these people were brought up and stuff like that because it is so interesting and it's like so fascinating too to go back to be like from even before he was born his mom had uh was working at a job that gave her health issues and gave all her kids health issues like it just kind of Mm -hmm. brings up a lot of points that i feel like can be made not to be like, okay, well, this is why, like, because um, not a lot, no, not a lot of people turn to a mass serial killer, but to be like, okay, well, these are environmental factors, and this is also kind of the, the way our society works for certain people and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Because I also think when you watch this documentary, I mean, because it's so gruesome, and because they do such a good job of capturing the fear that these 
the spray just like instilled in an entire city, a natural impulse is you want to understand why. Exactly. And they they really don't tell you anything about him. So it makes it hard to fathom why. Um, and also they they had this like maybe two sound bites from him at the end. But I was like, wait, what is that real? Like, is that really him? And it felt so random because they spent pretty much the entire documentary making a point to not bring him up. I mean, that is me on like after anybody after any breakup. And you're like, I'm not going to talk about them tonight. I'm not going to talk about them tonight. I'm not going to talk about them tonight. <laughs> Pretty much. One sip of Sancerre. I'm like, well, what did you think this text meant? It was very much a In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Overall, like, I don't know. I feel like this documentary is pretty polarizing. I think so, too. And I want to know what you feel, because I feel like the major polarization, if that's the word, about it is the so many of the reviews. And this is kind of also one of the reasons why, because I wanted to watch it just because I was curious, but also because of all of these people were saying it was the most gruesome documentary that they ever saw, that it was too gruesome. They showed too much of the crime and things like that. What was your take on that while watching? So interesting. I mean, it's interesting because uh, this is just another plus for texting while you watch all two <laughs> crime documentaries. It, there definitely were a few points when I was like, whoa, this is jarring because I feel like they would just show like unnecessary, like bloody bedrooms and stuff like that. It did veer a little bit into like gore porn. A hundred percent. I feel you with that because it also to go back to the, our first point talking about the documentary now about not wanting to talk about him too much i'm like but you're showing this which i feel like is almost worse because then you're just showing i mean like i don't know it was just so gruesome and i didn't feel like we're having like there wasn't like a lot to learn from that besides the fact that i'm like because like if you describe someone being like getting their throat slashed i'm assuming it was a messy site and i'm assuming it was horrible and disgusting i don't need to see the photos of it i personally feel but i guess some people really are into it just to kind of drive it home and i'm sure they probably thought they were really doing something with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, the other kind of aspect of that, which I noticed was I just felt like they, they failed to read the room in who was positioned as the main characters of this documentary, because the, the filmmakers clearly didn't want to glorify Ramirez, which was the right choice. But then in turn, they just glorified the police officers who caught him which yeah. I I don't think was the right choice either. <laughs> I that is a very true thing, and that's what you were. I I like that point that you brought up. Yeah, because then I was like, who are we? Like, why are we like clapping for this? What's going on here? Why is everyone drinking bourbon? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there was this good um article in Vox. It's by um, it's by Asia Romano, and they brought up a good point, which was that this. Basically, the whole documentary, like three episodes, is them like 
kind of detailing these murders, figuring out that it's one person, trying to figure out who it is. And then the sort of like smoking gun gotcha moment of like when they actually figure out who Ramirez is, when someone finally gives them a name is this cop is describing how he essentially just punched this informant and was like wailing on him until the guy just broke and gave up the name. And, and in this Fox piece, the writer points out that this is like kind of hailed as this like heroic moment when it's just like, okay, you assaulted someone. Yeah. It, it's like, and also cause like, that's not the way that's like, as much as we, we, if anybody who watches SVU sees Olivia Benson does not let that happen. That's not really the way. Yeah, but Stabler did it all the fucking time. And that's why it was time for him to go. You did. But yeah. But he's he, back now. But he's back. And let me tell you, he looking good. But that's besides the point. Uh, Have you but, watched? No, wait. Is he back in the episode already? I, I don't know if they're, I think they're just filming it. I think so. Because I think I watched the most recent one. And he wasn't in it. Carisi's really good in front and center this season. I love Carisi. He I started love- as this like. I don't even know how to describe it. Sort of Talk like a about, jackass. Like, yeah, right? And now he's just like, you just want him to like spoon feed you eggplant parmigiana, drinking <laughs> out of a Florida mug. Let me tell you that much. Go Rams. Uh, but yeah. And now, yeah, now he's like this sensitive, like woke oh, DA sort of. Him and, him and Rollins, maybe. But Ugh, uh, I hate Rollins. Oh, you do? Oh, we'll get into that later. I kind of she love sucks. It. Okay, we'll we'll discuss later on our SVU spin-off. Oh, but what I was getting to my main point is that a hundred percent because you're not supposed to. That's not the way interrogations work. So it's a very interesting thing too to be like, okay, so there's some brutality elements to this as well. Yeah, and I feel like especially in the lens of this past year too, seeing uh, like how that they were able to identify him through this extreme means of force and attack was very uh, interesting to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I'm not a filmmaker because I don't I don't know what choices I would have made, but I can just understand why. Um, I mean, it's hard, especially in this age. Like, I don't think there is like a perfect solution. I feel like anytime you make a documentary, like those choices are going to get criticized, um, especially when you're talking about someone as n- notorious as richard ramirez well i think it's kind of like the goldilocks scenario of wa- watching true crime content at times where it's like we all watched the jump in a 2020 which was very much so boring and there was just too much too many talking heads mm-hmm. so that i'm sure this documentary tried to wanted to show more things and that's why the photos came up and the gruesomeness with that came up so it really is you know what i'm hopeful for what the hotel one will deliver i really i am hoping I'm hoping the other thing that was like kind of silly about this one is that again, for the first three episodes, they made a point to really not bring Ramirez into it. And then in the last episode, we started with like a montage about how hot he is. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, this is the moment that you want to insert him in here. Like, because that's because then he just because he, he made like a it almost the way they did it it made it seem like he made a grand entrance into the documentary very weird okay also i gotta get this we have to get this out of the way the man had stellar cheekbones let me tell you but that much. Yeah. we cannot be going around here saying that he is hot no he 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 had some angles i guess you know what i mean you know the angles a little bit uh but no he did not do it for moi. We yes, we we cannot as a society be saying that because if you really think that, just go Google his teeth, and it will just like bleach your brain. 
and also it's like can we raise the bar you know what i mean like for all these like what like why do we why do we hold men to lower beauty standards than women so let's tackle yeah like especially when they're literal murderers when it's like you could just be this looking person but because they have notoriety women are just like chomping at the bit like we have to do better than this literally chomping because those teeth don't show uh Uh, but but i think that really raises the interesting point with it too which we all like know but it's like it's it it gets clouded sometimes because like you see a ted bundy who like okay with the sweaters whatever but then you see something like this it's like oh you're more so just fascinated by like the delusional crazy power scary fear factor of it and that's what drives these quote unquote groupies and freelance magazine editors to marry them. I do not get it. It's like, oh my gosh. I I mean, I can understand like I get it because I've read about it, but it's just like, if you want a bad boy, go date someone who has a motorcycle. A hundred percent. Like don't fucking throw yourself at Richard Ramirez. Relax. Side note, when you just said Reddit, I think did I just realize that Reddit is called Reddit because it means you read it? That's probably where it comes from. Wow. Okay. Never. That's just an aside for, that's just a fact for all of you guys making it this far in the podcast that you can take to your next uh, virtual Zoom happy hour. Fun fact. Okay. Yes. Legit. You can take that and you can take the Herbalife short. Uh, oh, yes. We, to explain yeah. GameStop, sort of. The GameStop so, one is like more complicated and in depth and also has like better motivations, I think. I'm just content than, never being than rich. just two hedge fund bros like having a dick measuring contest, but it's like <laughs> analogous. And it's kind of similar, similar. No, but I'm just content never being rich because I don't know how any of that works. Same, same. And so, okay, so I mean, overall, what did you like? What did you like from the documentary? What did you dislike? I, my overall, I did like a lot of this documentary, how they talked about the media covering it more so because it was kind of like the media growing and evolving with the case because it wasn't really uncovered and unpacked. And it was kind of, a flip side of what we usually see sometimes in documentaries, just because I guess a lot of the famous crimes that are covered are more so about an individual victim that gets a lot of attention that you try to find from there. So it was interesting, I guess, because like instead of like uh, an individual victim going from it, trying to track down the killer more so. Uh, But what I didn't like is that while doing that, we didn't really discuss the killer at all or any of the background details of him, because that's kind of for me personally, the aspect of crime I'm most fascinated with or with the uh, people. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, I liked the focus on the victims. I thought that was well done. Um, and I liked, I think they did a really great job of being able to communicate and capture just the fear that was gripping this whole city, um, which I think like other documentaries just haven't been able to really get across. So um, I think they really captured that effectively as far as what I didn't like, it, it was weird to have a documentary called Night Stalker, but not actually really discuss anything about who that person was, except <laughs> yeah. that they had groupies in the courtroom. It's so it's very it's, super it, bizarre. Also, I loved the part about the um the neighborhood, like fucking coming together and wailing on this guy. Oh, that was that was so great. <laughs> I did like that a lot. And I, cause I, that's the thing I liked. I would, I feel like I would have liked more, a little more discussion about that aspect too, like the community around it, everything like that. Cause they really gung ho for it, which was awesome. Um, yeah. I think it kind of tied into that fear because everybody, once they publicized the photo, um, everybody knew who he was. 
and they were just on the lookout. And that is some true neighborhood watch shit. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So you know what? Click it or ticket, baby. Click it or ticket. Click it or ticket. I mean, would you recommend this? Because I actually kind of would. I think it's I think just because something may have flaws, which I think everything does, isn't a reason like not to watch it. I think you can definitely watch it with a critical eye. Yeah, I think I definitely would recommend it because I think it is a case that not a lot of people know about. So it's interesting in that aspect. And just also because it is it's like it kept my attention. It was I was never bored bored during it. I think Netflix has been listening to our podcast because we didn't have like four episodes about the history and founding of Los Angeles. And and we really just they cut to the chase. It was four episodes. I think that was honestly a good amount of episodes. I didn't really need more. I didn't really need less. Yeah, it was a perfect. It was a perfect amount. I would. I, it's funny though, because like, okay, in terms of places that I would want to know more about, LA is more interesting than like a random small town. But <laughs> yeah, or like the Algarve. I'm still no, not over that one, you guys. I'm not no. over the Madeline McCann documentary. That was that was pain. That was that was rude. That was rude to us. <laughs> so brutal. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, because you guys stayed with us for so long, and you know how we like to end these episodes now instead of just saying, Okay, bye. Jorge made a little game for us. That's enough for the serial killer. See you next time. Yeah. No, we're gonna play a game. I'm excited, <laughs> right? It's a little you're you're we're we're, we're landing the plane. We're yes, yeah, so it's like uh, a DD slow Cooper. descent instead yeah. of like dropping off a cliff. <laughs> Jorge, what do we got? All right, hello, everyone. Um, also, Jorge, people are loving your voice. They're saying it's a, like, they're your new ASMR. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. He's blushing well, ear you. to ear, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are playing a game that we are calling California Quizzin. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as you guys mentioned earlier, there are a ton of serial killers that have sort of been produced in California and have done their crime sprees in California. So today we're going to do a deep dive on a lot of these killers. So I have a series of five questions, multiple choice this time around. So All right. to give Danny a fair chance. I, I need that. <laughs> I, need, I need ACT status where I can just not answer a question and still get points. <laughs> there we go. Let's just dive right in. Let's go. Okay. So the first one is, which of these killers appeared on a famous game show on national television in the middle of their crime spree? We is know it? this one. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. Okay, yes. okay. Jorge is a fake fan. <laughs> <laughs> did you do an episode on this one? Yeah, okay. we did. But it was before your time. It was before, okay, yeah. Okay, okay, It well, was PJ. So do you guys just know? which? Who was it? Dating Game Killer. You killed it. Yeah, what was his name? Oh, my God. Wait, tell. I know this. I don't, I don't know his real name. Something weird. I want to say Ralph, but I know that wasn't it. Roy? Rodney Alcala. Rodney. Okay, Damn you were it. in the R... I was, like, <laughs> I was like on the way. So yeah, so if you did the episode on it, um, just give a couple of fun facts. He actually won the dating game, but the Bachelorette Cheryl Bradshaw actually declined to go on a date with him because he was, yeah. and I quote, creepy. 
Yeah. Dodge the bullet. Well, on we that watched one. his videos, and she, even on the show, he was like creepy. She was. He was so weird. And talk about so lucky, like that she was able to be like this guy's fucking. I, I'm not dealing with that. Like, thank God she <laughs> has taste. Truly. All right, so let's move right along. The next one is which serial killer would sometimes blend the corpses of small animals with Coca-Cola to make a milkshake? Is I'm sorry. A the sunshine monster b the vampire of sacramento or c the oakland cannibal mm. do, 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 do. i'm gonna go b i'm gonna go with the oakland cannibal danny got it it uh, is the vampire of sacramento are oh, these yeah. all real people no i made up the other two names oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we're going to get some copycat motherfuckers. Damn it. <laughs> you know what? Because like a vampire, I feel like animals and Sacramento, they love they love to mix things with milkshakes. Over there. That's legit. That's what I was going to say until we got the Sacramento cannibal. And I was like, it just makes sense. <laughs> and you never know with California. Right. His real name is Richard Chase. And he killed six people in the span of a month in Sacramento, California. Oh, my God. And he was nicknamed the Vampire of Sacramento because on top of his milkshakes, he also drank his victims' blood and cannibalized their remains. Ew. Okay, mother. There's some army hammer vibes there. Literally. (laughs) Okay, the next one is Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Buono worked together to kill 10 women in L.A. in the late 70s under what single name? Was it A, the I-5 killer? B, the freeway killer, or C, the hillside strangler. It's C, right? Yeah. I'm also going with C because they talked about this in the doc. Yes, it's the only reason I do. Yes, it is the hillside strangler, which is kind of a peculiar story. So initially they found three sex workers on different hillsides in LA in 1977, and it was presumed to be one killer. And they just started calling him the Hillside Strangler. However, as it turns out, it was actually the work of two cousins who ended up being sentenced to life imprisonment for their crimes against 10 women, which ranged in age from 12 to 28 years old. This is why I don't trust people who are too close with their cousins. You know what I mean? Legit. I'm like, you see them for some holidays and that's fucking that. Like, we don't need to talk. I mean, me and my cousins would just make up dumb skits to perform on Hanukkah. You know, that's about as far as our communal activities we got. <laughs> That's cute, though. All right, next up, we have which of these killers was known as the original Night Stalker? Was it A, the Golden State Killer, B, the East Area Rapist, or C, the Vesalia Ransacker? Isn't this a, is this a trick question? Maybe. Because uh, I think it's A and B. I was going to say B. You're both right. It's actually ah. all three of them. Oh, shit. Wait, what's the third one? The Vesalia Ransacker. Oh. So the criminal known as Joseph James D'Angelo actually had a number of monikers throughout his criminal career because he went on different crime sprees. So he started with burglaries. So he was named the Vesalia Ransacker then. Then he moved on to raping. So he was named the East Area Rapist. And then he started killing and was nicknamed the Golden State Killer. Which is crazy. Very prolific. Yeah. I was very confused when I was reading uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I was like, which? Who? What? 
I know. And I feel like that's like, it's almost like a downfall of media because they always want to have like the name for it. But I'm like, you gotta pick a name. You can't just be like, you can't have seven of these because then it right. just gets confused. Yeah. And there was a very recent update to this case. So he remained at large for decades and was finally arrested in 2018 because they were able to use genetic genealogy on GED match and found his great, great, great grandparents which wow. gave them a list of about a thousand people from 25 different family trees. But then they started narrowing it down with clues like age, sex, place of residence until only D'Angelo remained. And that's why I'm never doing 23 and me. <laughs> Could you imagine if you do that and you find out you're like, Oh my God, I wonder who I'm related to. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there should be like a little like mini doc. I probably wouldn't watch it. Cause it would probably would end up being boring, but of all like some of the other people who they like could have narrowed it down to. Right. Yeah. Well, I think there's a few um, cases out there where we've had people message us and be like, they should just run like the genealogy. Yeah. I mean, this proves it, that it really can be a helpful tool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last up. I feel like this one's a little bit on the easier side, but let's see. On August 1st, 1969, three letters were received by Vallejo Times Herald, the San Francisco Chronicle and the San Francisco Examiner. By which serial killer? I know Was it this. A, the Southside Slayer, B, the Grim Sleeper, or C, the Zodiac Killer? I'm going to go with C. It is C, the Zodiac Killer. I did Woo. for a second think it was the Unabomber, but then I realized he didn't kill. He wasn't. Well, he was kind of, yeah, but something like that. I was going to say BTK, but then that wasn't a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the Unabomber, but it wasn't a choice. So yeah, we right. Were like, so he still remains unidentified he's one of the best known killers who no one knows who he is unless you think it's ted cruz (laughs) what if it's marshmallow that dj who always has something on his head stop i I don't i will not stand for the marshmallow slander but i will stand for ted cruz slander but let's be real the man is not smart enough (laughs) and he's he got too out of breath doing fucking anything (laughs) um also i loved when you were um talking about the names like the the Sacramento Slayer or whatever. It reminded me of in SpongeBob where they're like the hash slinging, the slash slinging. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. No, but I'm happy you're happy. <laughs> Never mind. Someone's going to know about the hash slinging slasher and they'll DM me, me and my Parks and Rec and my SpongeBob. You really, you got to, you got to, you got to uh, audience there. Everyone just needs to spend more as much time watching TV and on the internet as me. <laughs> <laughs> So there was a fun update to uh, the Zodiac Killer case. I don't know if you guys heard, but one of his, you know, he sent four cryptograms to these newspapers. And one was actually solved last year after 51 years by three amateur sleuths who just started going to town on these cryptograms and just solved it. But two still remain unsolved. So to all our listeners, never give up. This Danny? is our moment. What else are we doing in quarantine? <laughs> We're not going to solve more Murray, but let's put our skills to use and crack this cipher. We got this. I, I, have, I have faith in us. Me too. So that was our game, California Quizzing. <laughs> I loved it. And after five rounds of play, Danny, you are the yeah. winner. You got the vampire of Sacramento. That was all the difference. I really see there's watching Jeopardy every night at seven really does pay off sometimes. <laughs> we need like our own serial killer Jeopardy. 
now that's a live show. Maybe next time. Thing that we have to do. Like literally. Yeah. I, I got to stop telling all my best ideas on the podcast. Here's hoping oxygen doesn't <laughs> listen for an hour. Maybe they just do 20 minutes. Truth. <laughs> but that was, that was it for the night soccer. Thank you guys for telling us so much about that. You all watched it. Cause that inspired us to watch it and then do the doc and then do a little extra deep dive with it. Yeah. We're excited. And we are, we are definitely going to watch hotel Cecil. It comes out February 10th. So I, yeah. Whatever the next, we'll, we'll figure out our, our right. recording, but we will have to obviously talk about it. But if you can't wait, we did an episode on Elisa Lamb a while back. So just go search for that in the episodes. It's, it's a very spooky one. And for more true crime content and uh, Netflix recommendations, join our group on Facebook. It's not another true crime group. Yeah, we're tackling a... a, a- police officer who has like three wives and a girlfriend or something like that right now. Shit's yep. getting crazy. Shit's getting weird. So join that right now and have some fun with us. It's very exciting. And follow us on Instagram at NATC pod. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah Labim. You can follow me at Cashmere Danny, Cashmere with a K. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next time with another crime. Batches.